listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's reading is from James 4, 11 through 17. In the Pew Bibles, it's on page 982. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there, doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits a sin. The word of the God for the people of God. And thank you, Joanne, for that reading. So um, before we get started, I want to say um, I was reading this passage this past week, and it should be familiar. Um, it, you know, this past summer, while I was on sabbatical, I knew that James was coming. Uh, so I tried to read through the book of James once a week. Um, and I mostly kept up with it. It's not a, it's not a big achievement. It's only like five pages, so it's, it's not that much to read. Um, but I have to confess that all those times I read through James this summer, easily like 12, 13, 15 times, I don't think I thought really deeply about this passage until this week. I think this was the first time that I was like, oh, I have to preach on this. Uh, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Um, sometimes when I read the Bible, I find myself kind of skimming. You know, it's like easy to, to sort of skip. Or like, um, I'll be reading along, I'm following the words on the page, and then all of a sudden, I just realize that like, I can't remember anything that I just read. Does this happen to anyone else other than me? <laughs> okay. Oh, almost everyone. Good. Um, but like, and I don't know about, about you, but for me, this, this goes on for entire verses, entire paragraphs, pages, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have no idea what I'm reading. I think that's what happened with this passage. Um, sometimes I think the problem is familiarity. Uh, like with the first half of this section, uh, James is talking about not judging others, and it's really easy to be like, got it, don't judge. I know that one. Uh, judge not, lest ye be judged. Check, I can do that. Skip, right? And then with the second half of the passage, I think I blanked this one out because it's just crazy, right? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money, yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. I don't want to hear that, right? Like, I don't want to think of myself as a mist, right, vapor that disappears in an instant. 
what is, what's the message there? Like, don't plan? That's crazy talk. You all know me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a planner. I plan things months in advance, years in advance. I could tell you, I could pull up a file on my phone and tell you what I'll be preaching on in a year and a half. That's not healthy. That's not normal. Um, usually, I have at least three plans, right? There's, there's plan A, there's plan B, and if things go really sideways, there's plan C. So yeah, I, I skipped all of this this summer. But when you find yourself doing that, <clears throat> if you find yourself reading the Bible um, and you, you realize there's a part that you've, you've missed or you've blocked out, whether intentionally or not, it's a good indication that you need to slow down and reread the passage you missed because there's probably something there that you need to hear. So stop, go back, and pay attention. That's what I did this week. And uh, reflecting on this passage all week, I found myself kind of asking this question. What do these two sections have to do with each other, right? Don't judge and, and don't plan. You know, don't, don't make too many plans. What do these two have to do with each other? How are they connected? Because, like, James isn't just picking topics out of a hat, right? There's a, there's a flow here. There's a rhythm. What do these have to do with each other? I wrestled with this all week. And the connecting thread that I see is the practice of non-judgment. Um, non-judgment might be new to a lot of us. It's a topic that I did not hear a lot about uh, growing up in church. I first learned about non-judgment in a spiritual formation class in seminary. Uh, we were talking about spiritual disciplines, stuff like prayer, Bible study, worship, these practices that um, we do as Christians to try to grow closer to God and try to grow as disciples. Um, and we learned about the spiritual discipline of non-judgment. This is a topic that really threw me for a loop the first time I heard it. It took like three or four conversations for it to really start to click. Uh, but once it did, it really opened up a lot for me. And I can say with hindsight that it has made me a much better pastor, kind of understanding this discipline. Uh, in case you have the same problem as me, though, I want to start by addressing what non-judgment is not. And I know that's a double negative, um, but, but non-judgment does not mean uh, any of the following. Non-judgment is not the same as being judgmental. Okay, that, that would be too simple. That would be too easy. Um, because, like, none of us want to be judgmental, right? You, you don't want to be a jerk. Uh, as Christians, we should not be going around condemning others, judging others. That's obvious. That's just, that's like basic human decency, it's not really deep enough for what we're talking about when we talk about non-judgment. Non-judgment also doesn't mean a sort of um, anything-goes lack of discernment. This was the stumbling block for me, because when I first heard about this, this is where my mind went. Like, I'm not supposed to discern anymore. Um, as Christians, we need to be practicing discernment. We need to differentiate in our own lives and our hearts between right and wrong, uh, good and evil, what is just and unjust, what is true and what is not true, right? We need to be thinking about that in our lives, our actions, uh, the leaders we follow, the stuff we consume. Non-judgment doesn't rule out any of that. We still need to exercise discernment. And a third thing non-judgment is not, which this is going to be super important as we talk more about this practice, non-judgment is not an invitation to ignore common sense or uh, risk your own safety. Some people are unsafe to be around. Can I get an amen? <laughs> uh, 
Um, some situations, some relationships are toxic. It is not judging others to cut off contact with an abusive person or to opt out of a dangerous situation. Um, that is just good self-care. If you're in an unsafe situation, getting out of that situation as soon as you can uh, does not mean you're being judgmental. That's not what James is talking about here. It means you're protecting yourself. You're setting boundaries, using common sense. None of that is about judging others. Are we, are we tracking so far? Do we understand some of these things that non-judgment is not? Okay, I see people nodding, so that's good. Let's talk about what non-judgment is. A definition of non-judgment. Non-judgment is really about refusing to sort people and situations into categories. Sorting people into boxes like good and bad. Um, doing things like, you know, I like you, I don't like you. You're on my good list, you're on my not list, that, that sort of thing. Uh, another way we could define non-judgment is observing people and situations without attaching an opinion or rendering a verdict so that we can be free to love them like Jesus. I want to read that one again because this is a really important definition. Observing people and situations without attaching an opinion or rendering a, a verdict so that we can be free to love them like Jesus. So often, whether we're talking about people in our lives or circumstances, we're always evaluating always attaching an opinion, rendering some sort of judgment on the person or the thing. Non-judgment is about not doing that, cutting off that judgmental monologue in our heads so that we can be free to listen, engage, and love. Uh, this is what good therapists do, right? Um, if you think about psychologists, social workers, Christian counselors, these living saints among us who walk with us through the darkest seasons of life, they have to get really good at non-judgment. When you sit with someone hour after hour, week after week in therapy, you hear heavy stuff. You get a view of the deepest, darkest parts of the soul. Even as a pastor, um, people have come to me with some really heavy stuff, things they've done, mistakes they've made, stuff they've thought about doing, things that have happened to them. And as a pastor or as a therapist, we are trained to treat anyone who comes to us for help with unconditional positive regard, unconditional love. No matter what they say, no matter what they share with us, we are to treat that person with love, respect, and dignity because they are a beloved child of God. We might need a hot shower after. <laughs> right? Um, we might have to talk to our own therapist and process some of what we're healing, uh, hearing, um, but in the moment when we're with that person, we practice non-judgment. I'm going to be the first to admit, I'm not great at this. I really wrestle with this. I have no poker face, which is probably why I'm not a therapist. Um, it is challenging for me not to render a verdict in my head. Uh, part of that thinking through my own story is probably because I grew up in a pretty urban area. Uh, I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, a small city, a little bit smaller than Rochester, uh, but I grew up in the rough part of town. Uh, the first time I got jumped walking home from school, I was eight years old. It was Miriam's age. The first time I got beat up by some bigger kids who wanted my money. And um, over time, I developed this instinct 
where I tend to size people up right away. You know, in the very first conversation with someone, I am thinking, uh, is this person safe? Do I like them? Can I trust them? Always is happening in my head. Tall people really freak me out. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I meet someone who's taller than me, because like I'm, I'm 6'2 with boots on, uh, so I'm not used to looking up to people, right? Um, the, the Raleigh clan is the worst. Uh, Kurt and Joanne, <laughs> you guys bred giants, I swear. Um, anytime Tom or Josh is at church, you know, they, they walk up to me and, and it's just like, darn, you're tall, right? <clears throat> which, which is really, you know, a way of saying, I don't know if I could take you in a fight. That's what, that's what that means. Um, luckily, I've got, I've got 60, 70 pounds on Tom and Josh, so. But still, um, I tend to do the same thing whenever I see a guy with, like, a really luscious beard, right? Like, 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 uh, Gary Young or Dan D'Angelillo, like, you, I'll comment, I'll, I'll compliment men on their beards, but like deep down I'm thinking, darn, more testosterone than me. Like, that's, that's what's going on. That's the judgment in my head. We're just, we're airing all the insecurities today, by the way. Um, <clears throat> and like, most of that is harmless, right? I'm not going to get into a fight with Tom Raleigh. That's not, that's not going to happen. Um, but it's a judgment. It's a verdict. That instinct to evaluate situations and people comes, comes in really handy if I'm walking down a dark alleyway at night alone, but it's not great for loving people. It's not useful for that. And there's all sorts of ways we do this. There's all sorts of categories and boxes we put people in. Um, good, bad, smart, dumb, lazy, hard worker, worth my time, not worth my time. Um, I like being around you. You annoy me, right? What is, what's that phrase Pastor Elisha uses? EGRs? Extra grace required people, right? Like that, that it's, a, it's a judgment, and we all, we all do it. We all categorize people. Judging others isn't just about condemning. It's about rendering any sort of verdict, putting them in any sort of box, organizing people in our heads based on what we can get from them. It's dehumanizing. So when James writes, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. Who then are you to judge your neighbor? James is calling us to the practice of non-judgment. He's reminding us that there is only one judge, and it's not you. It's God. God is the only person who's qualified to pass judgment on anyone, and God chooses love every time. Amen. Who am I to choose any differently? There's this meme uh, that I've seen on the internet that I really like. We've got it here in the slides. Maybe you've come across this before. It's uh, titled, why you should be kind to people, and then you've got this big circle, it's labeled someone's life, and then this little dot in the circle, what you know about it, right? None of us have the full picture on anyone in our lives. We don't even really have the full picture on ourselves, if we're honest. None of us are in a position to judge anybody. All we're called to do is love. We have to practice non-judgment. And again, I want to emphasize, this does not mean you stay in an abusive situation. 
uh, or an abusive relationship. This doesn't mean you ignore evil or reject your own common sense, but we can exercise discernment and be safe and protect ourselves without categorizing people and sorting them into boxes. And this isn't just about people. It's about situations as well, circumstances. Uh, the things we find ourselves in in our lives. This is the one that can really get into my head. I am constantly judging my own circumstances. Good or bad, you know? It's a good day, it's a bad day. This is great, this sucks. Like, that's always the monologue that's going on in my head. It's like there's this narrator who's evaluating everything, passing judgment on every little situation. It's a natural thing to do. I'm sure it helped our caveman ancestors survive, but it doesn't draw us closer to God, and again, it doesn't make it easier to love others. It's not always beneficial. Over the last uh, number of weeks, we've had a number of folks from our church in the hospital uh, for various things, sicknesses, injuries, um, and it's hard seeing friends and loved ones who are struggling, who are suffering, who are in pain, my tendency is always to judge the situation. You know, I go in there, and in my head, it's like, this really sucks. Why is this happening? God, why, why are you allowing this person to go through this? And then when things improve, I find myself passing another judgment. This is great. Praise God. What good news, right? And then if things take another turn for the worse, I'm back to negative again. It's, it's maddening, that back and forth judging our circumstances. It'll drive you crazy if you let it. And it doesn't make it any easier to love. But if we take up this practice of non-judgment, we can learn to observe the circumstances of life without rendering a verdict so that we can be free to love. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians. Um, he says that Christians are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Um, we are agents of God's love, called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Like, these are the metaphors that Paul draws on. When we encounter suffering or pain, our job is not to categorize, to pass judgment. Our job is to be present, to manifest hope, and to share God's love. When James tells us not to plan too much for the future, when he reminds us that we are vapor, mist, He's, he's really referencing Ecclesiastes, by the way. If you guys remember that um, series from months ago, uh, you might have connected those dots. <clears throat> but I hear that as an invitation to stop judging our circumstances. Stop trying to force life to a good outcome based on your standards. Instead, surrender control to God because God's in control anyway. That's God's job, not mine. Um, about a week ago, I was watching the news, just the updates on what's going on in Palestine and Israel, which is terrible. I don't know why I keep watching those updates. I think I'm expecting for, like, something good, and it's just, it's just bad. There I go judging again. You see, I caught myself. <clears throat> but, but Miriam was in the room. My daughter was sitting there, and she's, she's on the iPad, so I'm like, oh, she's not paying attention. But she is. She's catching things. And uh, she turns to me at one point, and she goes, Dad who are the bad guys in this war? And who are the good guys? And that's a really hard question, right? Like, talk about a situation where we are prone to judgment. 
We've seen it from our elected leaders, from uh, influencers, people in the media. Some people are on Team Israel. Israel can do no wrong. Some people are on Team Palestine, you know. Good guys, bad guys. Because that's our tendency, is to pass a verdict and pick a team. My instinct, where I default to, is siding with whoever's in pain, whoever's suffering, whoever I see as the victims. And then it's the people doing violence who are bad. That's kind of how I, how I always go. Uh, and I almost did that with Miriam last week. I was like, well, honey, the people who are hurting on both sides, those are the good guys. And then she was like, so the people hurting them are the bad ones? <laughs> and I stopped. In that moment, I, I, like, I, I hit pause. I took a breath. I remembered the practice of non-judgment. And I said, well, it's really complicated, honey. The people who are doing this horrible stuff are probably not all bad. Some of them are scared and angry. Uh, many of them have been hurt themselves and they want revenge. And then Miriam says, can we pray for them? Which is like, and, and we did. Like we stopped right there as we're watching Meet the Press and we prayed for Israel and Palestine, my eight-year-old teaching me about God. Non-judgment is really hard. Like any spiritual discipline, this, it takes years of practice. I don't think I'm ever going to master it. But the first step, the first thing we can do if we want to take up this practice is to start being mindful of where we're at, to start paying attention to ourselves, our own inner dialogue, our own tendency to judge and render verdicts. Um, you'll want to make sure today, if you didn't already, that you grab a bulletin, because in the going deeper section of the bulletin, we've outlined a journaling practice you can try uh, this week. The idea is that every night, before bed, you think back over your day, and you write down, you identify the moments of the day that you rendered some sort of a judgment. You're not going to remember all of them. That's okay. Um, but think broad. It could be a positive judgment. It could be a negative judgment. It could be a person you judge. It could be a situation. Any time that you found yourself defaulting to judging a situation, do that every day this week. Then at the end of the week, look back over those entries and look for commonalities themes? Um, are there situations that consistently lead you to judgment? Are there people that you find yourself judging over and over again? Are there people that when you're around them, you're more judgmental of other things? Are there similar judgments you find yourself rushing to over and over and over again? Once we begin to recognize these patterns, we can start monitoring our own inner dialogue and consciously opt out of judgment. You'll have moments where you catch yourself, like I did with Miriam last week, and you're gonna have to hit pause before you finish that judgment. But you can take that time to opt out and to say, wait a minute, let me hold off on that judgment. I'm gonna observe this situation, I'm gonna interact with this person with the sole goal, goal of loving them. You can also use those moments as an opportunity to talk to God, to pray, to take that judgment you are about to make of the person and the situation and hand it over to God to judge. That's the practice of non-judgment in a nutshell. It's a lifelong task, but it's something that I am working on. 
is what I see James calling us to in this passage that I tried to ignore. Let's pray. God, help us to be ambassadors of your love. Help us to practice non-judgment in those situations, those scenarios where we tend to judge. Help us to be fully present with the people you bring into our lives, Lord, especially the people who put us on edge and annoy us. Help us to use those moments of judgment as an opportunity to show grace and love. Help us release control of our lives, Lord, to realize that we are vapor, that you are in control, and that we can trust you with all things. We ask for these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.